there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. The information on the Robert Scott Bell Show has not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration and is not intended to prevent, cure, treat, or diagnose any disease. Nah, just kidding. As far as we're concerned, the FDA can kiss our Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Advanced Medicine Monday continues this hour. My good friend Dr. Rashid Batar is back in, and we're doing some definite advanced medicine building on what Mike Adams has revealed in his report about the IOM and the horrible or horrific revelations about the conflicts of interest, economic or otherwise, and really diabolical plots, Dr. Batar. You know, we've talked, of course, about vaccinations many times. And by the way, I, I believe we're really making history here with these Monday sessions you and I conduct because we're getting information that just doesn't get revealed. It, you know, people normally are used to going to seminars and paying big bucks for this stuff. And we're able to, thank God, get this information out there. It's so desperately needed. And on top of what we're going to go with vaccines today, so I should say, once again, thank you for being on board and helping make this possible. Well, Robert, we do what we can, and this is something that I wouldn't miss for the world. Um, it does sound, you know, strange that we have talked about this so many times, so when it's uh, breaking news, it's sometimes hard to get excited about the breaking news because you, it's almost like, you know, the, res- the visceral response is, tell me something that I don't know. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Well, it is it is um, interesting what's happening right now with the Institute of Medicine, especially the evidence now that the the uh, mainstream media mm-hmm. is not even not even attempting to do a reasonable job giving the you know the, the the basic facts the way they should be presented. I mean, it seems like that they're even. They, I always thought the Institute of Medicine was the quote dark side, and even though their report comes out and states that they acknowledge some of these issues that have been issues and don't even try to necessarily cover it up per se, but the media gives it a total spin and totally changes the flavor of what the message is. Well, if we talk about journalism 101, you think that the first thing that they would teach you as a journalist is to ask questions. (laughs) Just ask questions. And it's the one thing they don't do. In anything that they do, I mean, all they need one question would lead to a hundred others and get right to the heart of a sixth grader could read this report and go, wait a second, what about this? And what about this? But the headline says doesn't cause autism. And of course, you know, firsthand, not only from your son, but hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of others that have, you know, connected with you or through seminars and such or being direct patients, uh, you know, for first firsthand fact that these vaccines are causing this. And the, the strange thing is that you know, why would the media, I mean, okay, you know, you can see the Institute of Medicine and the, 
medical hierarchy wanting to keep this hidden, like w- w- what we've always you know said and suspected. Yes, uh, because they don't want to lose their uh, autonomy, they don't want to lose their prestige, they don't want to u- lose their high status as the um, you know protectors of um, scientific evidence-based uh, medicine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know all the, the all the egocentric type uh, components that the medical community would want to make sure they suppress this information. But then when you start looking at how the media has even put the spin on this where they've admitted it, now you have to start asking yourself, this is what you and I have talked about before, you know, the difference between um, good versus evil. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how else to, it sounds almost, when I hear myself say those words, it sounds silly, and yet there is no other more accurate way of describing this. This is purely good versus evil. And then somebody is that sinister to put that type of information. I mean, for God's sake, this is each child. The economic burden is $8.3 million over the lifetime of a child that suffers from autism. And when you look at the, uh, the incidence of autism going from 1 in 10,000 since 1991, and then they initiated the what they call the National Vaccine Initiative that no child would be suffering from a childhood disease that could be preventable through a vaccine, which was started in 1991, and now the incidence of autism has gone from that 1 in 10,000 to 20 years later – one in 60 or 70, somewhere in that range, depending on which state you're talking about, whether you're talking about boys or girls, mm. you know, this is something that this, the economic burden of itself is in the multi-billions. Yeah. Well, you, you've raised a very important issue in, in addition to the human issue, the human toll, because this also plays on the human toll, the inability to care for people that and children that are harmed in this way to create autism. You mentioned something back in the early 90s. Mike Adams just revealed in the report since 9-11, they, they developed this national vaccine authority to increase even more on what they did before. Never mind the cost in, in human terms. Look at the cost, as you said, in the economic uh, enslavement of people. And there, there's just already we know there's no money to pay for this. How do they expect this, is, this, will, this will be handled in the future? And so what could be the agenda? What could be the motivation of, of a media whose fundamental function is to present two sides of the argument and allow people to get information and, and come up with their own conclusions on the, based upon the information that they present? What could be the possible agenda of an organization that has that as their mandate and yet in, intentionally mutilates that information and and distorts it into such uh an inaccurate enigma i mean it, I, I just don't understand if you can't put the evil there yeah. then what other word could you put there yeah well nothing else would explain it I, I mean you could say oh high level ignorance but i mean at the level no. with which you can no longer be ignorant no, of these it, things you, you could i mean even even ignor- ignorance even has its bounds and this yeah, is this yeah. exceeds those bounds hmm. you know it's it's just something very very sinister it's you know, you start thinking about, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and you know that, but yet hmm. this is so blatant, you can't even call it a conspiracy. I mean, this is truly human population control. Yeah. Uh, it, it's got to be something that, I, I, I don't know whether that's human population control or just dumb down the population or control people or, or distract them by giving them something that, you know, they're agonizing about because their child's suffering or their niece or nephew's suffering or the grandchild's suffering. And so, you know, this... Uh, create the distraction so that then you can continue your own agenda, whatever it is. I don't know what the agenda is. All I know is 
that the only way to categorize this is pure, unadulterated evil. Mm. And it has to be dealt with, and the only way it can be dealt with is by what you are doing, Robert, which is making people aware. Because I have said this for the last decade, if not longer, that if the general population were aware of the facts, were aware of what has happened, that the parties, that the, the, the entities that were appointed to guard our future generations to make sure that they were protected through the uh, preventive health aspects and through the nutritional and vaccines and all these other things, the people that were appointed to guard our future generations were inept, they were obsolete, they fell asleep at the wheel, and this is enough. I mean, you can mess with a lot of different things. You can mess with the person's car, with their with their you know property, with their money, with their office, you know, even with their wives, but you don't mess with somebody's children. Yeah. This is enough to cause the next civil war. I, I, I mean, I would... I would not hesitate to take arms to protect my child. And I well, name me that, one parent yeah. on this, in this country that would not pick up arms to protect their child, unless, of course, it was somebody that you know, abused their children anyway. Right. Well, uh, yeah, that's a whole thing. But you're right, abusive children, this is a, this is a dangerous uh, uh, cult, if you will. And we talk about it in terms of scientism, not science. And we talk in terms of conspiracy reality here. We, you know, we did. We definitely have that thematic element to get beyond the theory. This is no longer a theory, as Mike Adams revealed in his report on the uh, funding of the Institute of Medicine. You've got major defense contractors, Northrop Grumman, five billion dollars they're receiving to promote some of these things and agendas of vac- vaccinating the world's population, and they're not just working here in the U.S. Some of these, uh, you know, HHS, which is. The FDA, the head of the FDA, Margaret Maggie Hamburglar, I call her, the Hamburg, she yep. also has donated directly to the IOM. I mean, there are so many conflicts of interest, economic and otherwise, here that these people should be taken out and arrested and tried. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And we're not talking about a conspiracy against um, you know, medicine or the natural health industry or against doctors. We're not talking about even a conspiracy against certain sections of the population. We're talking about a conspiracy against humanity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is something that makes Hitler look like a nice guy. You know, it, it's, it's, it pains me to say it and think it, but, you know, you're right. As we've said, in the guise of helping you, this is where it becomes so sinister beyond sinister because – it, you know, you served in the armed forces, Dr. Batar. We've talked about some of the stor- stories that you've had there. Uh, we know what the military is for. There's no illusion about it, although some people may be deluded about what we're doing around the world right now. But we know what the military-industrial complex is for. There is the mis- the mystery, so to speak, when we talk about the medical side of things because they sell themselves from a PR perspective as the ones that are helpful. They're here to save you, protect you, reverse disease, etc. The immunization vaccination, we should call it because we don't like the word immunize. It's not true with what they do. Uh, but the whole vaccine complex, it's here to protect you. If you question it, you're somehow for disease. I mean, it's bizarre. And that makes it even more sinister because you can't say that they were upfront about anything they were doing. You're absolutely right, Robert. This is like the mob even having its own code of ethics. You know, these people have no code of ethics. I mean, this is exactly – you're absolutely right because there you – at least with the military complex, you know what their agenda is. They state it. It's up front. But this – you know, to subversively come I – and mean, look what they did with Frontline and PBS when they talked about the vaccine aspect. 
and they pitted the they never had a single physician talk about the negative aspects of vaccines and they had they interviewed me and two other physicians but they never had us on there they they showed me of, of all three physicians they only showed me and it was like a webcam um little distance shot you know of me and they interviewed me for seven freaking hours mm. they had three I, I i turned them down three different times and the only time i finally allowed them to go ahead and come to our office and videotape and they sent the videotaping crew from washington state and another party came from washington dc or new york area i don't remember but when they came i insisted that and the the deal was that if you want to interview me then you must talk to three of my patients and they selected the three patients. We gave them six or seven different people. That they selected three. They taped them for three hours, and they taped me for six and a half, almost seven hours. They were there for over ten hours in my office filming. And what did they show on PBS? They showed something that they captured from the web, and it looks like a hidden camera that shows me talking. I think it was to do with the Desiree's case or something like that. Oh yeah. They, By the way, we should reiterate: Desiree Jennings was the the Washington Redskins cheerleader who got a flu vaccine and, and went dystonic. I don't want to reiterate that completely, but that was a worldwide story we had broke, broken together. And really, you can go back and listen to a Google search on, on Robert Scott Bell, Dr. Rashid Batar, Desiree Jennings. You'll be up to, up to speed on that. But as you said, they, they, they tried to do something weird with the video and audio with that, with that piece. Yeah, well, we you know we have over 100 hours of footage documented from that particular case because, you know as you know, she was having 60, 70 seizures an hour by the time she got to us she was having periods of you know 30 to 45 seconds of anoxia and she was she was going to respiratory failure and you know her final diagnosis from my perspective and what we were able to reverse within 72 hours and stabilize her was acute encephalopathy viral encephalopathy you know secondary to the uh, inoc- the inoculation that you received from the attenuated virus and uh, uh, mercury toxicity so she had like a she had a double hit from the same issue and, and by the way the iom report acknowledges some of these symptoms right in their report yeah exactly well and you know it was something that again I, not to beat a dead horse but hmm. like i said in the beginning you know, tell me something i don't know um, <laughs> you and i both know this already so uh they, they really don't have a choice now i mean the n- number of cases of miscarriage that took place from the you know from the h1n1 shot i mean over the three thousand documented cases and and they encourage women to get this um saying that there was no now. issue now the HPV, we call it the hocus-pocus vaccine, and that's being too kind, uh, based on faulty science to begin with. And, and, you know, these are the things, like I said, we're making history here, Dr. Batar, revealing this in ways that the old media couldn't even consider. If they did, they'd hurt themselves, and they'd have to come see us for help. <laughs> so we we got to keep it going. Listen, we're going to take a break here, special edition of the Advanced Medicine Monday here with Dr. Rashid Batar on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Quite amazing stories that are breaking, things we've already known and covered a lot of ways, but more of the pieces are coming together so more of the people can wake up and see the reality so we can help them through it. So stay with us. Lots more with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Remember, robertscottbell.com. I have the links up to all of the wonderful things, including his wonderful book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, and more. We'll be right back after this. Dr. Batar, I'm always amazed by how much, you know, we have covered over the years together and we go way back now thinking about it and how much now the, the, the stories are catching up to the things we've been discussing and not everybody really got it before, but with each new revelation, more and more people are coming on board and going, 
dude, you guys were, you were right. <laughs> I thought you were weird. <laughs> and how many people now go, hey, Dr. Batar, you're all right. I, I, you know, I had uh, somebody say about three years ago, um, three, maybe four years ago, said, how does it feel to be vindicated? Mm. And I said, vindicated? And they said, yeah, you know, all the stuff you've been saying for the last decade now, you know, more and more people have uh, come to see the truth and, and it's come to fruition, everything that you've said. And, you know, how does it feel to be vindicated? And I, I couldn't help, but I guess I was being a little facetious, but I said, look, the day that my I got my son back, I was vindicated. Then after that, it's all gravy. I, yeah. I have, you know, I just am fulfilling a promise that uh, I made, and that is that I was ne- I would never shut up. So there's no reason for me to be fe- to feel vindicated. That mm-hmm. There's nothing. There is nothing to you know be vindicated or feel vindicated about. It's uh, something that each day that our message is not heard by everyone. Mm-hmm. Somebody's suffering, and unfortunately, that someone is not just one or two or a thousand. Or ten thousand, it's hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, are still suffering, and yeah. especially the people in the third world countries that are again being, you know, pummeled with these vaccines that Targeted, are supposedly yeah. being given to them to prevent them from getting these diseases. Um, and you know, where just give them some food for God's sake, give them clean mm. water, give them source of energy. You know, they don't need to be vaccinated. That's not what the problem is. Yeah. And and we just we just essentially slaughtering these people. I covered a story yesterday on my Sunday show, and this was about the drug industry really targeting, well, you know, we've talked about this term therapy naive, but they're really going after the East Indian population out there in India, a billion more people that they could put on drugs, and they're talking about these drug reps going out, visiting doctors, many of them, lining up for one minute at a time with the doctors. I mean, stuff we've read about for years here that, it, you know, now the awareness is being raised about it, but over there it's just now starting. And these people are making X number of rupees. They said it's like a, a less than 200 bucks a month, these drug reps. So it's very cheap marketing for the uh, pharmaceutical industrial complex to try to convince the Indian population that the only thing they've been missing are these drugs and these vaccines. And it's wholesale slaughter of, of, of you said it, hundreds of thousands of millions of people. And see, the thing is that other countries, what we don't seem to realize is that other countries, when you say that this is American medicine, they have the impression of American medicine 30 to 40 years ago when it was a top. It was number one in the world. And right now we are like 34th or 36th in, in the standard of healthcare in the world. Yeah. But people have this connotation that it's American medicine. And forget about the fact that the vast majority of Americans are already seeking other forms of what they call alternative medicine. They're searching for Ayurvedic uh, therapies and homeopathic therapies and other types of you know acupuncture and chiropractic and all these other types of non-traditional modalities and yet these people that come from a strong ayurvedic background are seeking american mm-hmm. therapies because the connotation is that this is superior it's western it's rich it's this it's that it's you know roads lined with gold place where this is where it was developed you know this is the connotation that america has in the in the other countries and especially the third world countries yeah. and they use that they manipulate the that concept that that belief system to get these people to feed on this bandwagon that is all ordaining the use of pharmaceutical substances mm. yeah and it, it really is it's sad to be again you know I, I love the land of liberty and and what it stood for and of course there are people that are trying to revitalize it re- salvage it 
And, I, you know, I really we, – we hold out the hope and the activity. We don't just sit blindly and say, oh, we hope one day it gets better. I mean, we're literally participating in creating that new realm, new America, if the America is going to change because of the abandonment of liberty. And that means health liberty, health freedom as well, that there will be a consciousness shift that will allow that freedom to be restored. And we talk in terms of freedom, recognizing that it takes great responsibility. There are still many naive Americans that are arguing for various forms of socialism and other totalitarianism and and covering everything for everybody or or so that don't realize that when we argue for freedom, we're arguing for also self-responsibility because they go hand in hand. Absolutely. I mean, self-responsibility is where it's at. I mean, without any other intervention, if people were just taking responsibility for their own health care, which is the recurrent message that, that we've always had here, Robert, that I've, my clinic has always said people got to take responsibility for their own health care. That, you know, if a person says, well, I'm going to put 85% effort forward to stop smoking yes. cigarettes. But, you know, we talked about that. Um, okay, then I'll give you 85% of my effort. Yeah. You know, if people start putting it forward their own effort. And, and I think people are getting there now. People are becoming more responsible. They just need to be educated. They, they have had a lifetime of programming to take a drug, to take this thing, to take that thing for a simple ailment, to, to cover up the symptom, not to address the root causation uh, factor, but to address the symptom itself. It has been a propaganda machine that has been going on at, before we were born. It's been continuously increasing, and especially in the last 20 years, mm. you know, with the cholesterol drug, the, the, the cholesterol uh, levels where a person needs intervention for anti-hyperlipidemics with the statin drugs, yeah. that level being dropped or blood pressure medication being prescribed when blood pressure is, you know, when I was graduating from medical school, the blood pressure of 125, 130 over 75 was fine. Now, if you do blood pressure doesn't 120 over 75, you got to get blood pressure medication. Um, there's this statin drugs, you know, it used to be 20, 250, cholesterol level 250 or higher required some kind of statin intervention, which is totally preposterous, by the yeah. way, um, because I don't care what your statin, what your uh, cholesterol level is, you don't need any statin drug. Exactly. But n- then it drops down to 225, then 215, then 200, 175. Now it's like 150 to 175. You need a statin drug if your cholesterol is above that. Well, no, the next step, uh, Dr. Batar, is do you have cholesterol in your body? Oh, cholesterol well. Cholesterol is the most <laughs> important substance within so the system. vital. It's, Cholesterol is a precursor of all the sex hormones. It is vital for cell membrane integrity. Without cholesterol, our cells could not maintain their structure. Yes. Our entire cell membranes would would dehisce and just be – we would be an organic wow. mush is all we would be. <laughs> we would not be able to maintain our integrity yes. and, and our form the way we are with without cholesterol. And so when a person – in fact, I'll, I'll just say this on the air. I haven't yep. said this before, but my cholesterol level is way over 1,700. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember you mentioning that once. I mean, it's like people were shocked. Their, their jaws hit the oh, floor. I, I didn't say that on the air. Yeah, that, yeah. That, we okay. talked about that. It was, But again, it's, it's good. It's worth reiterating, repeating, because as I've said – all of this, you know, talk about high cholesterol, they don't even know what it means because everybody's got different levels. They don't go back in history to find out. And, of course, we've also referenced the fact that people with higher cholesterol not only live longer, but they have higher levels of cognition well into old age and beyond. Absolutely. In fact, cholesterol in a person, when they start developing this type of a cardiac condition, if you will, I believe it's a protective effort. The cholesterol increases as a hyper-responsive compensatory response in the body. That's what yep. it's trying to do, trying to protect the body. I mean, all the studies that have been done now in the last probably seven years indicate that people, they are more than half the people that have cardiovascular disease have normal cholesterol, and more than half the people that have high cholesterol have no 
cardiac disease. Mm-hmm. Look at bears. Bears have a normal baseline cholesterol between 600 and 700. Have you ever heard of a bear having a heart attack? No, I've heard a lot of people that see a bear in the woods having a heart attack. Well, exactly, but the bears aren't having the heart attack. No. This cholesterol thing was all based upon the Helsinki study, and it was actually looking specifically at triglyceride levels, and they have distorted and distorted and distorted the, the mm-hmm. uh, truth of that. In fact, one of the first things that they found in the Helsinki study in the, in the um, basic research that was done with the statin drugs was that the one thing that the statin drugs do is they decrease ubiquinone, mm-hmm. coenzyme Q10, which is essential for the mitochondria to function. Mitochondria is a respiratory organelle within the cells that allows eventually the production of adenosine triphosphate, which is an energy utilization block that we use inside our systems. And there was a consistent depletion of ubiquinone, of coenzyme Q10, in the people that were taking statin drugs. So the end result was that the recommendation to use statin drugs was in conjunction with the use of coenzyme Q10 supplementation. However, coenzyme Q10 was just as expensive, if not more expensive, to produce and to, to market compared to the statin drugs. So the drug companies just dropped that part of the study. They just hmm. dropped it. They just completely eliminated that recommendation from the basic science researchers, from the didactic researchers, and started marketing the drug by itself. Incredible. It really is incredible. And you know, to, to, to add to your point there about how necessary cholesterol is, People, you know, remember back at the Vietnam War, Vietnam police action, they, they brought back the 18, 19 year olds in body bags and they did a oh. lot of autopsies. Remember the high it rate? Vietnam. It, it was, wasn't it was Vietnam. the Korean, Korean War. War. It was right. It was a Korean police action. That's it. it was, right. Again, these were UN sanctioned wars that were not real wars that were declared by, you know, constitutionally. Again, I have to bring that up because it's been a long time since we abandoned the Constitution here in America. Uh, yeah. But these things found high rates of advanced cardiovascular disease in young, almost children, you should say. Now, had they lived, because they were killed in the field of battle, they didn't die of heart attacks or coronary events, had they lived, you know, thank God the cholesterol was there because they would not live long enough to even survive to have a heart attack because we know of the vascular inflammation, the corrosion or damage or cracks even within the vascular lining that would then be patched up to, you know, for survival's sake and with the hopes that repair could take place, couldn't take place without cholesterol and you would die internally of literal or no symptom advance warnings. And so cholesterol is a life-saving mechanism that, yes, years, 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 years later, you get calcification, not cholesterolification, but calcification of the arteries, etc. So, again, we come back to the vilification of something that God created, and that's man's arrogance. Absolutely. In fact, in the Korean War, when they brought these young men back and they looked at, they did autopsies on the vascular trees, what they saw was that um, only one out of five actually had clean vascular tree. Two out of five, or essentially 40% of these, if I remember the numbers correctly, it was about 40% of this population that they saw in autopsy had mild to moderate atherosclerosis, and 40% had moderate to severe. And these are, like you said, they were all under the age of 25 because of the types of food and diet and the, the yeah. dietary intake that we had that was the reason that they had this atherosclerosis developing. Only one out of five or 20% of this population of American men under the age of 25 had a clean vascular tree. They've even done autopsies on children that have died in motor vehicle accidents, you know, five, six, seven-year-old kids. And they've, on, on autopsies, they have seen the beginning of atherosclerosis developing at that point. Hmm. That is not anything to do with cholesterol. That is to do with the lifestyle, the type of foods, the sugars that are contained within the foods that they're eating. In fact, the recent cardiovascular studies have all shown that it is hyperinsulinic response 
secondary to sugar that actually leads to uh, cardiovascular disease and oncogenesis, the, can- the formation of cancer. It has all to do with the sugar aspect. Well, yeah, and of course, at that time, we, we see more of the refined sugars entering the food supply in the mid-20th century, and it's only accelerated and worsened since then with more refined foods, more additives, colorings, preservatives, flavorings, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, now the added insult of genetic modifications. And we get into that level. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll get into that as well. And we talk about some of the genetic modifications uh, backfiring on the world of Monsanto with this so-called BT uh, engineered gene to kind of engineer a pesticide in. And it's not working as well as they thought. Nature always finds a way. You got Dr. Batar in the house here on Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check it out at robertscottbell.com. Also, I got links up to medicalrewind.com as well as his book, his wonderful book. I hope you get it, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. We've got lots more healing to do after this break. Stay with us. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. It's always a great and interesting and fascinating time, occasionally intensely passionate as Dr. Batar brings it every week uh, with Advanced Medicine Monday. And, of course, we encourage, Dr. Batar encourages you as well, take advantage of the the toll-free phone line that we have to give us a call uh, at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355, because there are many times you have questions that you can never ask your doctor, and maybe your doctor wouldn't even have a clue what to say. But, of course, with Dr. Batar's vast knowledge, experience, and, and passion in all of these things, we can get some answers to you. And, and of course, we, we actually do have a call we're going to take momentarily. But we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you can uh, send me a Facebook message. You can email the show as well. And, of course, get us plugged into what's important to you as we move forward each Advanced Medicine Monday together with Dr. Batar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. So uh, are you up for uh, taking a call here on the immune system? Absolutely. Okay, let's see if we can take that call. I'll get Don to run it. Go ahead. Hi, I'm calling from York, Maine, and my name is Anjali. And I was wondering if either you or your guest knew about mastocytosis and could give any um, helpful information on trying to cure this. It's a disease. It's a histamine disorder, and um, it can have any range of um, symptoms depending on who you are but can be pretty debilitating and in its rarest um, turns into a blood leukemia. Um, I would appreciate any information or helpful um, health tips that you could make on this and thank you so much for taking my call. All right, Anjali. Anjali, thank you so much for that. And uh, Dr. Batar, of course, this sounds like something that is familiar to us because of all the things you've written about in your book, some basic understandings of the immune system. We're talking about hyperhistaminic responses, mast cell interactions, skin lesions, other things like this. What do you think? Yeah, it's actually, uh, some people call it, uh, commonly referred to as urticaria pigmentosa. Um, some people say it's different than that, than that, but it's a very closely related component of urticaria pigmentosa. But Essentially, this is the second foundation of health that we talk about, which is the uh, immune modulation. So we never talk about stimulating the immune system because in some people, the problem is a hyperimmune response. And this is essentially one of those type of conditions, very similar to systemic lupus erythematosus or any of the other type of autoimmune conditions such as myasthenia gravis and such. Um, You know, Robert, basically it comes back down to modulating the immune system and detoxifying um, 
I wish I wish it was more complicated than that, but really that's yeah. the first place that a person has to start. They have to detoxify, they have to modulate the immune system, and they have to optimize the physiology. And you know, it's the subject of the of the book that we talk, um, the the nine steps book, but it's mm-hmm. also the subject of the or the basis of the um, fundamental aspect of how we treat disease the, yeah. before we deal with any of the specific components of the disease by just doing those first three basic components right. and addressing those three uh, fundamental components on an effective basis, most of the conditions such as this start to, one, diminish and then eventually recede and they disappear. I've had patients, uh, I've had three patients that I've treated with myasthenia gravis, all three, two of them, two out of the three were in wheelchairs when they came to us, mm-hmm. all three are outside of uh, that uh, realm now. None of them are in wheelchairs, they're fully functional, productive members of society with full-time jobs, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, when you start talking about ALS, that's a little bit, that's a little bit, more, we've had more challenge with a condition like that, which is another example of a, of a autoimmune type condition with a hyperimmune response, where the immune response starts to now mm-hmm. um, attack the nervous system itself. Um, but with something like this, with the urticaria pigmentosa type picture, with the mastocytosis type mm-hmm. picture, or the myocytoma—that's another term that they use for that or condition related to that. It's—I um, hate to say this—a it's a relatively easy fix, but yeah. it's, you just got to address the issue that's causing the hyperimmune response and negate it, and mm-hmm. that's it. Sometimes they'll say to me, "Robert, not the liver again." Is that you can tell me about the liver? It's like yes. Every time you come to me, and of course, uh, you know the. When you're talking about detoxification, Robert, how can you? You know, that's that's a fundamental thing. It's like the oil filter. How can you say, "Oh, no, not the oil filter again"? Of course, the oil filter. You're going to get a filter of the body. It's a filter of the system. Yeah, but it but it is funny because so many diseases of the 20th and 21st century have become so complex, complicated. They utilize terms and descriptions that sound. You know, very foreign, and you you need an expert to even say the name of these diseases. And then you come down to it, the same basic principles apply, sometimes times 10 when we're dealing with these autoimmune diseases because there's such corruption of cellular integrity that the immune system often says, I don't even know what's me anymore, and we've really got to restore self to self. So it's not that, um, it, you know, you snap your fingers and it's done, but the methods, if you will, the pathway to health, they are very simple and they can be applied across the board. And success is happening not because these, these guys and gals get lucky, but because they apply the principles. And, and there's going to be a varying response to the treatment result and how fast it happens because some of these conditions, it took years to acquire. Right. And it's going to take a consistent approach a consistent therapy to detoxify the system because it's not just going to happen overnight. And, you know, it's a great point that you just brought up, Robert, about mm-hmm. the um, strange names and the that you need to have uh, people having degrees just to be able to pronounce some of the names. My um, instructions to my patients are that if you've been diagnosed with a condition that has more than three words in it, essentially they have no idea what the <laughs> hell they're talking about. I mean, I, I'll give you a perfect example. I had yes. this young girl. She actually... Uh, uh, was a singer. She was a recording artist. She had, in fact, just been um, asked by, she had, during the Republican congressional nomination, when Bush was nominated the second time, she opened the Republican convention, and she was the one who sang the national anthem. I mm. won't go into more details about her specifics uh, as far as who she is, but, uh, you know, relatively well-known and up-and-coming uh, country music singer. And she came to me uh, with the diagnosis of idiopathic uh, demyelinating polyneuropathy. Hmm. And uh, I'll just say that we were able to, she, I referred her to another doctor after we stabilized her, and then she would, she needed to have more treatments, obviously. And 
she only came to my clinic for a couple of days and there was an article in the paper about nine months later and how much better she was. And, um, you know, she was, she couldn't, she couldn't walk on her own when she came to us and then she was able to start ambulating on her own, mm-hmm. um, within, within a few months. But she had a, the same thing, mercury, and she had lead and cadmium on board and she had all sorts of different things. And, you know, I treated her the same way as I treated the myasthenia grafts person as an MS patient as some of these other patients. Yet the diagnosis is all different, but the fundamental causation factor is the same. Right, right. And that's what we have to remember that our, we, weren't, we, we don't get these strange diseases because they are natural ways of acquiring these diseases. We get these diseases because man has created an environment that allows the propensity of these substances that we normally would not come into such direct contact you know, yes, doesn't mercury occur naturally, Dr. Buttar, from the volcanic ashes that erupt and from the burning of the Congo fires that come across in the trade winds? Yes, it do. That's true. It does. But we also don't have mercury sitting inside our mouths hmm. outgassing at five to, you know, five to seven nanograms per deciliter per tooth per day. And we also don't have vaccines that are being um, used with preservatives of also mercury, but now with ethyl group or methyl group added to it and make it more similar to the system and then inject it into our bodies. Sure. So these are unnatural ways of being exposed to substances that are not good for us, and that's what causes our, our systems to start responding in a way that's detrimental. Right, right. And of course, you know, I mentioned the uh, genetic modifications. I mean, these were the add-ons when we were talking about the cardiovascular uh, evidence from 70, 60, 50, you know, a long time ago now, uh, back in the Korean War. And they didn't have the toxic assault to the level that we do today. Now, we throw in the GMOs to the mix, the genetically modified organisms, and they did the BT, this pesticide, they kind of genetically modified into the crops so that, well, we won't have to add the pesticides and the beetle won't get it. Now the beetle eating it for lunch. Same way, when they added the pesticide, didn't matter. Nature always finds a way. Man and his arrogance is is showing evidence of his stupidity. To think that he can outwit nature uh, with even gene splicing and engineering at this level. Now, I'm obviously very concerned about these GMOs entering the environment, but I think nature's going to find a way to just, just clear this stuff out because they're not making advancement for survival. They've made advancements for survival in, in terms of toxic assault of one particular pesticide, but nature always finds a way. And I would reiterate that because uh, the one good thing about this upcoming 2012 calendar for me, Robert, is that whatever is going to happen is going to be a cleansing. And afterwards, a lot of this manure, because I can't come up with any other way. <laughs> good, way, good, way good polite way to say it. Yeah, will be washed away. So we're talking purification, cleansing. Yeah, you know, that this is the thing about the planet itself, purification, cleansing. I mean, nature knows what to do. Our bodies know what to do. Our liver knows what to do. We don't have to think about, it. oh, I got to think, think, think. Oh, I got to cleanse to get those liver cells. I mean, the thing is we do the thinking we get in the way. You know, we got to get out of the way and stop putting in the garbage that is is literally we're destroying ourselves. If we talk about the vaccine paradigm and the fact all of these things are linked up in a criminal enterprise to reduce the population i mean the, the very people that are foisting this upon the planet are going to be harmed by it as well their arrogance and ignorance perhaps is is shielding them from that awareness i don't know but it is evil in that context and we don't want to take away from that point but in the end nature will chew up and spit us out if that's the way we're going to go and nature like you said nature does not tolerate something for nothing for very long i mean in the history of the world, we're 
but a millisecond as far as all this nonsense that's been going on. But I completely agree with you. It will be compensated for and it will be compensated with in a, in a harsh way unless we wake up and see the reality. Mm. Well, I mean, this is an exciting time, no doubt. I mean, we, t- we tend to try to find the positive track anywhere, even though we acknowledge some of these horrible, horrific disasters. And again, we come back to the vaccine issue and your own son and how the harm was there. But what it led to was so extraordinary. And it allows us to be together today and every Monday as we're doing the Advanced Medicine Monday, getting this information out there. To provide the tools that empower people to heal themselves. As we said, no doctor heals you. If they do, then run the other way. If the doctors are there to help you, to teach you how to heal yourself, you have to walk that walk. And we're here because we've learned how to walk that walk. And hopefully uh, reduce the learning curve for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with learning from others that have gone before you. I think that's a great way. Not everybody can do that. I recognize some people have to suffer through a lot of the ailments I personally had to suffer through to indelibly mark my body. So I know I can't do that ever again. I don't want to do that ever again. And of course, it gave me great passion and fortitude to you know bring forward this message in the way I do. Uh, and along with you, Dr. Batar, and your passion because of our experience. You know, it's interesting, Robert. I meant to ask you this, and I haven't asked you this uh, off off air. But um, have you noticed that whenever you, whenever you're about to have, or you've had a patient that comes to you, uh, well, let me let me just tell you my experience. Mm-hmm. I find that when there's a certain condition, I, I will like have myself. I'll, I'll experience something, a pain yes. or a discomfort or something, yes. and then invariably. I'll have a patient that comes with something similar but mm-hmm. much more intense. And then I'll have a second patient. Then I have a third patient. It always seems to be coming in threes for some reason. I have no <laughs> yes. idea why. And, and it's always related. To, it's, it's almost like I am being given mm-hmm. an insight mm. that can only be experienced. Yes. And it's almost like saying – it's almost like upping the ante and saying, okay – you got to figure it out for yourself because you're now suffering from this. Have you ever had that experience? Well, actually, I'm going to t- take a break here. And, yes, indeed, I want to come back after this. We're going to talk about this. a very fascinating question Dr. Batar is asking me. You're turning the tables on me now. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, so Dr. Batar turned the tables on me, asked me a fascinating question about uh, if I had experienced things that end up coming to me for people, people come for health. Now, outside of menstrual difficulties, which I can't say I've actually <laughs> had, but many women have come to me with that problem. Uh, I have to talk to my wife about those things, and we, you know, we confer. But, uh, you know, yes, indeed. In fact, many of the ailments that I suffered with, and so many, it's more than I could list in one show. I come back to is my experiences such that taught me about what I had to do for that. Now, sometimes in a, in a more uh, contemporary context, I'll have these experiences as well. I think one of the more interesting ones, believe it or not, is is what I call the chelidonium point, the, the, the top of the liver on the backside, the uh, pain between the shoulder blades, how that indicates, you know, an acute liver congestion. We're not talking liver failure necessarily, but how many people will come to me with these phantom pains and how I would say, you know, at a certain point in my learning, I had to learn about these pains that they weren't, it wasn't just a headache, it wasn't just a thing here, that it always related to some function or some system or some organ. And I think in those cases, yeah, I tend to get that, and I'm like, oh, why? Now I'm at the point of, okay, who's coming to see me? What are they going to ask about? And so you become very philosophical about these little nagging things that occasionally you'll have, you still have a human body, we got to go through it. 
Well, it's that's uh, exactly how it's been my experience too. That it's uh, I almost look at it slightly different from my perspective. It's almost like a guidance. It's a yes, it's an inner guidance that uh, whatever source energy, the infinite creator, the you know the the supreme being or whatever you want to call it, universal mm-hmm. consciousness is is guiding me by saying, okay, you're going to need this information. Yep. And this is how it really feels. Yes. And um, this is what they're experiencing. And I think that, you know, the first time this happened to me, and it happens quite frequently now, but the first time this happened to me, it scared the hell out of me. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell was going on. But, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to the point now, pretty much if there's something unusual, I will experience the pain or the discomfort or whatever the issue is before I even pick up the chart. So I've never seen the chart. I don't even know the patient is a brand new patient. I'll pick up the chart. I'll walk into the room. And as I open the chart, wow. I'll be, I will have been having that problem for the last 15, 20 minutes, which is unusual because I'm like, I don't have the problem. With this. Right, I don't have right. Problem. So I just thought I was out of curiosity. No, it's, 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 out of it's beautiful in that context, too, because you'll get a glimpse, a personal glimpse. There's a, an ability to empathize as well, even in the moment. As you said, a lot of times I'll think back to my experiences much earlier, but there are occasionally times where those things will pop up in the moment. You're like, well, what is this? And then you find out, indeed, this is what they're feeling. You have these so-called, they call them sympathy pains, right? The, the yeah, husband with, yeah. the, with the wife that's pregnant yeah, as such. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a deep connection. And when you make a commitment to healing, you open yourself up to that it's not that we want to take take on things that aren't ours to take on but you know i you know i sometimes will warn people you really want to go into healing you may have to experience things you're not going to like yeah because if you're really dedicated to help others that's part of the you know part of what comes with it you know it's funny robert you said that because i've probably asked probably no exaggeration Hmm. two or three dozen times in the last five or six years uh by Either people that are graduating from college or getting ready to graduate from college and going to a profession, mm-hmm. or you know somebody that knows I'm a doctor and they want their, their child to talk to me, or yes, you know, and I will always say the same thing. I say, oh, please don't, you know, do yourself a favor, don't go to medicine, <laughs> do don't it, go yeah. to medicine. Yeah, you know, there's, there's like a, a hundred other things you can do that are you know going to be much better for you than to go into medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, and the people say, oh, why do you regret? And I said, no, no, I, I don't regret it. I'm actually I, this is what I was supposed to do, so I'm. You know, this is my life mission. I don't even try to fight it. I fought it for years, and I don't even fight it now because I know that mm-hmm. as long as I stay on this track, everything is you know fine. I can do anything. If I don't stay on this track, everything else I do, it you know falls apart because this is not what I was ordained to do. I mean, this is what I was ordained to right, do. Right, exactly. Something else is what was not what I was ordained to do. But mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm only being half facetious when I'm telling people not to seek a, a profession in in the healing arts, but. You know, part of me also knows that there's a better time coming, and it will be good for those people that are coming that have a sincere desire to help other yes, people. And yes. there are a lot of doctors uh, that are there in conventional medicine right now that really want to help their patients. Unfortunately, they're not doing a very good job of it because they're victims of the system, just as the patients are. But um, the, the the key is that one has to have the desire, as you said. They have yeah. to have they have to have a commitment to the profession because we're, we're not talking about. You know, selling cars, or you know, doing taxes, or trying to keep somebody out of jail, I and mean, all these are noble professions, I'm sure. But you know, there's a difference when it comes to 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 medicine. There's a difference when it comes to healing, and um, there is nothing else that's like it. And um, hmm. so, I believe that those that make that commitment need to have that real commitment. That, and yeah. one of the probably the nicest things that anybody ever said to me was Dr. J- uh, Jim Smith after he read my book. He said that he believed that uh, the book should be a primer for all 
first year medical students. I think that's brilliant. That's great. You know, my, my uncle was a medical doctor. He warned me not to go into the profession. Now, at the time he told me this, I, I had always had the burning desire to be a doctor from when I was as little as I could remember. But I had no other model for what a doctor was. It was only allopathic pharmaceutical medicine in my family. And so it wasn't until I gave up on modern medicine because of my experience with it that, you know, five years, four or five years later that I found a homeopathic doctor that I was able to train with for so many years. And so in many ways, I also opened that up because of my experience to say it might not be the this profession, but you may have, again, in the change that we're talking about, the transformation we're living in our lifetime. There will be openings to all kinds of healing that are now considered fringe and marginalized that will become very much a normal part of everybody's existence. And many are being called to do that, but they don't have a framework just like I didn't to know what that was. Well, you know, it's funny um, that you say that because hmm. – and I don't know whether we have enough time to go into this. We, but, we uh, only got about a minute and a half, so we can dart well, into it and k- pick it up next week too if you want. Well, I'll just start it off by saying that uh, at a conference, a medical conference a couple of years back, probably about eight years ago, um, there was a comment that was made by somebody that I didn't know who they were, but they said that they could see all my supposed past lives. And in those past lives, um, I was always a soldier. And, and even one of them, I was a woman and I was still a soldier. And I said, well, I guess that changed in this lifetime. And <laughs> one of my, one of my uh, colleagues, a doctor uh, who was the chairman of the ABCMT at the time, uh, Dr. Nash, sitting across the table, he said, no, it didn't. He said, it's the same, you know, it's the same thing. And then I realized what he was trying to say, that, uh, you know, like you talked about the healing thing. I don't think I was supposed to be, I mean, I, I'm a doctor, but, mm-hmm. and I guess there's, there's a soldier component in there somewhere. Yes. Everybody keeps on saying that. So I think that you're right. They say the medicine, the health, it's, it's, you don't have to be a doctor to be a healer. Right. And I think this is a misnomer that people yes. have because look at the shamans and look at the yes. – th- there's many people that are healers. In fact, I've met people that are, not, that are like – I, I know of a hairdresser that I think is more of a healer than the vast majority of doctors I know. It, well, that, you know, that's one of the most profound things of the many profound things you said here, and I, I'm just uh, so grateful – to have that acknowledged because there are a lot of people out there that have this sense that they have to be a healer, but they limit their expression of what that healing is, partly because they don't know. I didn't either, but my goodness, what is opening up? The healing that is opening up, and we are in the midst of it, Dr. Batar, is so extraordinary, and that acknowledges it probably for many people. We may, we may never know the people that are touched by that, so thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Pichar, we've hit it. Uh, we have cranked up another wonderful Advanced Medicine Monday right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. I'm thrilled that we were able to do that. And, of course, as we wrap up uh, the, the day, as we do every week, uh, it's the saying that you won't let me get away without saying at the end of the show. <laughs> and I love it. Power to heal. Is yours. <laughs> Thanks again, Dr. Pichar. Take care, Robert. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.